Americans are telling pollsters which issues matter the most to them. Only one party is listening. Plus, in 2020, it was suburban housewives who were the key demographic for the Democrats. In 2022, it's someone else, and Democrats should be horrified. Plus, progressive Democrats despise war and the military industrial... Oh, wait, never mind. Hey, stay tuned for a very picante edition of The Midnight Ride. It's Monday, October 31st, 2022. Happy Halloween, everybody. We're just one week away from the midterm elections, and you are listening to your home for misinformation, disinformation, also known as The Truth with Paul Runyon and Connor Coughlin. Paul, things are looking up. Twitter is now free. The bird is free. And the elections seem to be looking somewhat promising. Don't want to jinx it. How how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm actually on the road this week. I'm um, at a Hampton Inn of all places. It's a great hotel. I mean, I have to say, I, you, know, <laughs> you and I talk about this and we... Um... Runyon, Paul, hey, 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 oh. What? But pudding, where's, is it pudding time? What? what? Oh. <laughs> oh my God. Oh, I'm back. What? What were we talking about? What did you eat? You had a pretty heavy breakfast, apparently. You're, you're looking like uh, corn pop there. Yeah, I don't know what happened, I guess. Was that sort of like that interview the other day? Yeah, where he just fell asleep, you know, and he was saying, Dr. Biden, my wife, whatever, and then he just fell asleep and the reporter was trying to wake him up. That was, I, wow, I did the same thing. Well, thank you for waking me up and pulling me out of that. We have seen a number of. Let me check my. Let me check my depends. No. Oh yeah. All good. Okay. We we have seen a number of gaffes where like, either though that reporter tries to cover for him by waking him up, or we've seen actually people at events have to grab his arm or, or redirect him. The media also, and we're going to get into Senate race in Pennsylvania as well. The media, you know, tries to cover for these folks, and they're really not doing their job of weeding out candidates because we have one in the Oval Office and another one who has a very good chance to win the uh, state house, to win the Senate seat in Pennsylvania, although we we will get into that a little bit later. But uh, Hampton Inn, it's, it's always been on my list. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I have to say, you know, as somebody that's always stayed at the higher category hotels in the, the Hilton and Marriott world, Ritz-Carlton, that type of thing, I got to say, the one thing I love about the Hampton Inn is you don't get nickel and dimed for everything. I mean, you go to one of these nice hotels, you think it's great, you pay all this money every night, and then you look at your bill and you get charged for everything. It's like the internet fee and resort fee, and uh, obviously breakfast is like $50 a person. Hampton Inn, you get the free waffles, everything's included. The pillows are nice, the bed's nice. Maybe you're onto something, Connor. No, listen, I, I I think I am, and it's it's those, and I have a couple of times in my life, probably I can count on one hand, stayed at those nicer hotels, but, you know, we joke about President Biden, but he was out earlier this week talking about, or last week, talking about, you know, the fees that we now see with airlines. You know, if you want six inches more legroom, you got to pay. If you want to bring a bag, you got to pay. And I just like to hearken back to the old days where you paid an amount, and it covered everything, like like you're saying at Hampton Inn. 
they are nickel and diming us to death because they can. I know, but you know what? I This is how the free market works. If you pay the fees. Well, it is how the free market works. And I have a, a, an opinion on that also. It's when you had that sort of one fee that paid for everything, the airlines were much more expensive. Now you can fly on a low budget carrier. I mean, you can fly a Legion or Spirit. Sometimes you can get a ticket for $29. And if you can go on with a backpack, if it's like a short trip, you can travel for, for almost nothing. And you didn't have that opportunity before. Before, if you were taking the trip, it could cost you $300 and you know you have no choice. So in my opinion, it's made air travel more accessible to working class folks. So I don't really agree with what the, with what the president was saying. And, and also with the airlines, you have to realize they don't make a lot of money. I mean, sometimes on these flights, it's very low margin business. They could fly a, fi- a flight full with 200 people and they make literally 500 bucks profit total on one flight. So you're not, or even less. So you're not really, I think it's good for America that, that we have these options. And I, I, that's, what's great about the free market. Yeah, it is. And we decide and, and we vote with our, with our pocketbook. So today's show is, is going to be a little bit about the election. I know people are getting election fatigue it's important, guys. It's it's important. But I think what's going to be different about this one is in this first segment, we're not going to, you know, get too much. We are going to talk a little bit about the polls, but what we are seeing, and we've seen a little bit of a shift, is because of strategy and tone deaf. Strategy on the part of Republicans and tone deafness on the part of Democrats. Am I getting that right, Paul? Uh, you are. Uh, this is, it's sort of political science 101. And the Republican party this year has done a brilliant job of taking the issues that matter most to Americans and speaking about them and messaging them in a way that relates and offers solutions, shows that the the party that they're running against the Democrats have failed on those issues and that they have solutions to solve them. And that really is what makes a winning campaign. You know, I'd say about three months ago, you and I were talking on this episode and saying, if the Republicans really don't get behind issues and they just keep talking about endless investigations, which I think they were a few months back, they're not going to offer anything to the people. They're not going to give people a reason to vote for them. But in the last few months, they've really turned around and focused on these important issues. And it's really showing and how the polls have moved. And I got to give credit to Mitch McConnell, because as much as we don't like a lot of his policies and he's a swamp creature, I'm a fan he's a genius when it comes to this stuff. And, and his pack that he raised all that money has really shifted the election. I'm a fan of, I'll call him Machiavelli and Mitch. I mean, we have him to thank largely for the current composition of the Supreme Court. We've, we've, talked about that ad nauseum. But what you describe is something the Democrats really used to be good at, right? They used to talk about health care. They used to talk about education and things. And now they are completely warped. They're completely out of touch with the American people. We are in a point right now. And this past week, it was announced that the American economy grew at about 2.6% or something like that. So after two quarters of successive negative growth. We had positive growth, which is good news, but that was sort of drowned out by a cavalcade or a cacophony of other loud noises of glass being broken and other things. The housing situation is almost turning into a crisis. We've got 
the inflation continues to get worse and other things. And so those are paramount on the minds of voters. And the Republicans seem to be addressing that. They are. And, and one thing I would like to say about that economic growth number is let's remember when inflation is running at 8%, a 2.6 economic growth number is really not that good. I mean, you're running, it's barely growth at all, if anything, because remember the value of the dollar is, is declining. So if you grew by 2.6%, but inflation is higher than that for the quarter, you actually shrunk. Eight, yeah, 8%. So yeah, so you have to put You've got to put that in perspective and realize that, wow, a 2.6% economic growth rate is really not that good because inflation is running hotter than that. You know, listen, number one, the American people are a lot, always smarter than the elites and the politicians give them credit for. And number two, don't tell them how things are going in their lives. They know, right? I mean, they if, if it's pouring rain on somebody, don't tell them it's the weather's perfect outside. And they also just don't understand the issues, fundamental misunderstanding. I think on Wednesday of last week, President Biden was talking about the economy and he said, hey, listen, you know, when I was growing up with my family and things got tough, we stopped buying the Kellogg's Raisin Bran and we went to the generic brand. And you, you can save about a dollar doing that. It's, it's, it's just the packaging. Yeah. You know, people are paying 30% more for eggs. They're paying 80% more for gasoline. They're paying more for chicken and beef and milk, and you're talking about generic cereal. Complete, obviously, a lot of these people don't shop for their own groceries. So I mean, maybe that's what the president, I mean, he likes to have his generic oatmeal maybe and pudding. So maybe that's all he really thinks about. Yeah. And he's not buying it anyway. That, that That's right. But he's not buying it anyway. He, so these people don't understand. They're out of touch. And remember, the Democratic Party lost the working class with Donald Trump coming onto the scene. They, they, they no longer can speak to the plumber or the even the retail worker. They don't, they don't get it. They represent the billionaire class and the elites. And so these issues that you talked about, the overall economy, jobs, et cetera, inflation, those are like one and two or one and three on people's lists. Democrats are, are not talking. Let's talk about the issues that yeah. they don't care about. No, I'd love to, because I, I'm going back to the, the Harvard-Harris poll, which I really love because it gets really deep into the thoughts of the American people. And what they really showed in the latest poll was a complete disconnect between what the public is saying is the most important issues facing the country and leaders in the Democratic Party and what they're saying, and also leaders in the Republican Party. There's a little bit of a difference, but it's much, much closer to what the public believes. So if we go over some of these numbers, you take the top four issues that people say are most important to them. And one is price increases and inflation. Two is economy of jobs, economy and jobs. Three is immigration. And four is crime and drugs. And you take those four together and you're almost 90% of people uh, believe that those are the most important issues facing the country. But then what you do is if you take that, those issues and you look at, well, what are leaders in both parties talking about and what are they most concerned with? It's a little bit different. So this question was, what issues are Republican Party leaders most concerned with? Immigration is one. Price increases and in inflation is two. Economy and jobs is three. And taxes is four. So a little bit different, right? But not, not completely off. With the Republicans, taxes will always be on there, but it pretty much... Yeah, that's always going to be on there. Guns is five also in the Republican Party. 
uh, crime and drugs is three, four, five, so seven is seven. So, and that, that just kind of depends on where you are. So, so that's that, you know, a little bit different, obviously it's nothing's going to be perfect, but let's contrast that with what are democratic party leaders most concerned with number one, January 6th, number two, women's rights, number three, environment, climate change, number four, guns. Women's rights, we're we're essentially talking about abortion, right? Uh, Yeah, that's how they frame it, is is abortions. Or as they like to call abortions, uh, you know, you like, we talked about why are the Democrats not talking about health care? Well, they are to them. Abortion is healthcare. Now that's become the new health. I'm so sick of their euphemisms, right? Women's rights is the right to to murder your unborn child. And and by the way, I have said that, you know, something like what Senator Graham of South Carolina proposed is what we should get to because most Americans and most people in the world agree with a policy like that. Okay. But women's rights is abortion. You know, some of the things they talk about with this gender madness, the mutilation of children, gender-affirming health care, their euphemisms are disgusting. But you're, you, you spelled it out. None of their four issues align with the four of the voters. And as we – I want to go a, around the country a little bit and give you some examples of how they're failing, if I can. Yeah, I think that's a good idea because they – whoever – is consulting them on this. I just don't know if they're not listening or if their consultants are only in say Brooklyn, New York or or in DC or in San Francisco, but I've never seen a worse run campaign than that of the Democratic Party this year. I mean, maybe the only thing I can think of is going back to George H. W. Bush in 1992. Yeah. But other than but I I really it's it's stunning to me that the party is become so disconnected and is not even trying to talk about the issues that impact the American people. Yeah, well, it, let's if I may, let's just go around the country real quick and I and I did hear that there was a memo that went out from the DCCC to Democrats that said, "Hey, listen, we were wrong about defund. Stop talking about defund the police and try to get a sheriff or somebody in your community to come out and publicly back you because we have a problem with crime." I think they're missing the point on that. So let's start in New York where unelected robot Kathy Hochul is going up against Lee Zeldin, a congressman, who, by the way, was almost murdered at a campaign event by somebody who shouldn't have been on the streets, somebody who, you know, his, the bail laws or whatever were favored to him, and was released after trying to stab Zeldin at a campaign event in a state where in New York City people are very worried about crime. But in the debate last week, Hochul says, you know, Congressman, you know, Lee, I don't know why you keep talking about this crime. There are laws, there are consequences. I don't know why you care about this so much. And what the voters in New York, I think, heard is, I don't care very much about the crime thing. Can we get back to abortion, please? In Georgia, people care about the economy. Let's remember, Georgia, very religious part of the country, the Bible Belt, Southern Baptists, whatever. People People concerned about feeding their families and somebody asked, you know, you, you care so much about abortion or whatever. And, and Stacey Abrams, the president of the universe or whatever her title was on Star Trek, says, well, yeah, I mean, people care about the economies. Let's, abortion is, an, it's not a reductive issue. People, you know, having to bring another child into this world, it costs money, essentially, is what she said. And I mean, that one went over like a lead balloon. And, you know, I, I think Kemp is, is doing quite well there. 
We saw John Fetterman, you know, in his debate, struggle mightily. But there, over and over again, when asked about the economy or crime or immigration, they either ignore it or their responses indicate that they don't care about it. And they always try to shift back to the Dobbs decision or climate change or whatever. And listen, people are, they're in a fight to pay their bills and to survive. And, and that just ain't going to work for them. No, not at all. And it's, I mean, they, they're, it's a complete disconnection. And what's even more interesting about what the GOP did, and, and you just brought up abortion, is how the Republican Party has now been able to completely shift the narrative on abortion and make the Democratic Party look extreme on that issue. And if you remember in the past, it had always been the narrative that the Democrats were pro-choice, pro-women's rights, 75% of Americans are pro-choice, and the GOP is extreme on banning health care. That used to be sort of the standard narrative, and it had been that way for almost my whole life. And what the Republicans were able to do this year on that issue even is completely flip the script. They've now put this message out, and it's been resonating, that the Democrats are for abortion with no restrictions whatsoever up until the moment of birth. So effectively infanticide, right? And they say, we, the Republicans, are the party of common sense limits on abortion. And it's not this sort of, they're not saying an, an outright ban, and the message differs based on the part of the country you're in. So a Republican in one state may say, we want to ban it completely. A Republican in another state might say uh, that we want to have a ban after three months, I think, like they, like Governor DeSantis did. Or a heartbeat or something. Yeah, or a heartbeat, something of, the, something of that nature. So the GOP is now looking like the rational party because the one area that, that people never talked about with the abortion issue is that, yeah, people, most people in America are pro-choice, but they want limits. That's right. On abortion. They want, and that, and that's, that's what the Democratic Party completely missed. And the GOP was able to find that and turn it around. And it, I mean, it's absolutely brilliant. Like I, I think as somebody, I studied political science in school, as you could probably tell. Mm -hmm. And I think that going forward that the, the strategies of this election are a generational change. And I think it's going to be studied for years to come in how they did it, because um, almost how Karl Rove, I think, flipped and, and used strategy to help George W. Bush get elected with the evangelicals. This may be even more pronounced than that. Truly, truly brilliant. But as you said off the top, though, as you said off the top, though, this is almost like poli sci 101. I mean, our founders believed in a representative republic where, you know, you chose your representative to take your your issues and your political beliefs up to Washington and they would hash things out. And the Democrats have done that quite well in the past for whatever reason, whether it's their elite handlers or whatever, the policies that they're talking about right now are either just, I almost think they border on evil with what they're doing with children and and abortion up to and even after birth, you know, or they're just tone deaf. And it's not just one or two candidates, as you point out, it's across the board. So it's it's almost like a fundamental just swing and a miss by them. And it, it is mind boggling. The Republicans aren't doing anything. It's not brilliance. It's just like you say, 
public poli sci one hundred and one. Do do what the people want. Well, the abortion the abortion move the, the narrative change on abortion was brilliant by the GOP. The other issues I think were pretty standard. But what they did on abortion to completely flip the narrative that had been standard for fifty years or ever since Roe was passed, I think I think was absolutely brilliant, and that that I think needs to be studied going forward. But but I think the Democrats really have this issue where they're kind of, they've become such a party of the elites that everybody is talking like they agree with each other and everybody thinks the same way. And they really don't understand what average people are thinking now. And it's almost like they're incapable of talking about it. On the abortion issue, I, I'm curious what you think, Paul, before we sh- shift to the next topic. Because I've always been, and I think a lot of voters are like me, and maybe maybe it's male voters. I'm curious what women think, but I, you know, I was sort of agnostic on the issue. I've, I've gravitated towards life and pro-life, but the idea that, first of all, I always believe in cases of rape, incest, health of the mother, I think there should be exceptions. And some Republicans don't believe that. I think there should be in those three instances. But this idea that we allow it, because now the Supreme Court has returned it to us, the people, and I think that's good. The states can decide, but what about a national bill that says, it's allowed in all 50 states, but only up to, let's say, 12 weeks. How would you feel about that, Paul? I mean, I, I wouldn't be averse to it. Look, I'm a proponent of the Constitution itself and our system of government. So I feel like if, if there's enough people in our elected representative, and that includes 60 votes in the Senate because of the filibuster, I'm not averse to that. I mean, because the way I look at this country is that we all have our own personal opinions but we have to respect the system. And Roe v. Wade was never something that was done correctly. It was not within the system of government. The Supreme Court effectively made its own law with, without precedent. Yeah. But if Congress were to pass a law like that, that is the law of the land and we respect it. You know, you don't go screaming and burning bras or violence or whatever. I mean, this is something that, you know, the people elected these folks to make these decisions. Yeah. And when you pass a law in Congress like that with getting over the filibuster, I mean, that's almost like a supermajority. And think about what's going on in our country. I mean, you have pro-life activists literally being attacked, their domiciles or their counseling centers being vandalized, being, you know, there's arson attacks against them. I don't hear very much, and I don't think the Department of Justice is going after the perpetrators of this, you know, if abortion isn't safe, neither will you, you won't be either those kind of threats, but there's actual terrorism going on all over the country against pro-life people. You get a, a priest or somebody who's pro-life that stands in front of a clinic. And there was a case where somebody, I think it was in Oregon, somebody was at a clinic, somebody accosted his child and he pushed them down onto the ground he was acquitted in the local courts, but the F- the FBI, 30 agents showed up at this guy's house and woke him up and frog-marched him to jail or frog-marched him to interrogation. This is a hotbed issue, and it's just like if the American people could agree through their representative, I don't know, as you say, I don't think we can ever get 60 votes on this, but you're right. This is our system, and our system includes listening to the voters and getting what getting what they want right now 
The Democrats are not doing that. The Republicans are. And in one week, we will see how that works out for them. Coming up, in 2020, it was the suburban housewives. In 22, there's a new demographic that will likely decide the election, and it doesn't look good for the Dems. We'll talk about that next when we come back on the Midnight Ride podcast. Connor, do you hear the news about Myra Flores trying to get into the Congressional Hispanic Caucus? Paul, <laughs> Paul, we've been through this. It's Congresswoman Myra Flores, okay? Not M- Myra Flores? <laughs> well, in some parts of Texas, they may say it like that. But yeah, Myra Flores. Okay, I don't want to be, I don't want to offend anybody. I know microaggressions from my pronunciation, so. Interesting news that you you just brought up, and it really dovetails nicely into our segment. Well, can I just say what she said? She, she goes, yeah. my thought, she tweeted, my thoughts after the rejection by the Congressional Hispanic Caucus, maybe I'm not the right type of taco. <laughs> that, that will play well in Texas because remember, I think in San Antonio, Jill, Dr. Jill Biden compared Hispanic people to breakfast tacos. Yeah, I remember that. That's, exa- <laughs> that's exactly what it was. This is very interesting news and it shows exactly what our segment is going to be about. The his Congressional Hispanic Caucus which currently is comprised of all Democrats, rejected this woman who is, she was born in Mexico. She naturalized as a U.S. citizen, and her husband is a Border Patrol agent. She's from Texas. She's very Hispanic, not allowed in. Similar to what we saw with the Black Caucus. These caucuses, you know, the the name of the ethnic group is in the title, but it has nothing to do with that. It's all about ideology. Yeah, it's sort of a fake title, right? I mean, they should really call it the Congressional Marxist Hispanic Caucus or something of of that nature, because it's that caucus that's it's all about the race or the color. It doesn't really address issues that American people care about. It it's kind of a front for a, a maybe it's a critical race theory or it's putting people in that in that category of you just you're Hispanic, you just care about immigration or you're black, all you care about is, is systemic racism, right? It's, yeah. it's kind of condescending that they even have those caucuses and they even give them those names. Well, the message, yeah. And the message that was sent last week when they did this is you can be part of our party, but, or you can be part of this caucus. This is a congressional body only if you have our beliefs. And the story of this election, Paul, is that you know, as the Democrats sit there and scratch their heads and wonder, we won by so much in 2020 in a lot of these states and districts. The reason why they're now potentially losing and losing as badly as they are is that black voters and Hispanic voters are abandoning them. I mean, they used to get 95% of black voters. That's down to like 84%. But the Hispanics, fastest growing demo in the country, they're losing them. They're about 50-50 now. They're split between Republicans and Democrats. That's a death knell for the Dems. It really is. I mean, I, you know, obviously in Florida, Miami-Dade County is a little bit of an outlier because it's it's been a little bit more Republican because of the the Cuban and Venezuelan population has been one that that, you know, has always been a little bit farther to the right because as we all know, they they fleed communism and we don't you know, they don't want it to come back. But Miami-Dade may go red this year for, I think it's the first time in 30 or 40 years. And then you look at the, the, the newspapers are freaking out 
the Miami Herald had a, article, a headline today that said, Miami's radicalization is astonishing. Cuban Americans won't get off the Trump train. It's almost like this thing that they don't even understand, right? They don't understand it. They don't, they, no. they don't understand it because, listen, in a lot of these countries, and we've talked about Mexico, where the PRI, the PRI party, was in power for 73 years. It's just, you, you, it, was, it was just believed that my father and grandfather voted this way, so I'm going to vote this way. People don't do that anymore. They see the policies of the Democratic Party. They see the policies of the Republican Party. They, ident- they identify with the latter more and more. I want to get into this a little bit. Most people immigrate to this country because they see it as the kind of place where you can, if you work really hard and you stay focused, you can succeed. And that you won't get hit by the corruption in some of the countries that they come from, whether it's in some places it's it's a communist issue, in some places it's a corrupt issue. That's why people have immigrated to the U.S. over the years. They don't people aren't coming just because they want benefits all the time. I mean, there are people like that. They're coming for the American dream. They are. And, and the shining city on the hill. And they're proving that it's still true. Exactly. But what is the Democrats message about can, can upward mobility? Are, are they saying that there is no me- there's no message? It's it's literally just about we're going to we're going to give you a check. You know, we're going to send you money. That's it. Well, I disagree, Paul. I think their message is that you can't do it anymore, that there's systemic racism against you. And certainly that's what they're telling black voters. And it's and you can't get up because there's barriers in your way. Democrats crush those barriers if they even exist excuse me, not not Democrat, immigrants that come in here, immigrants from Africa, Asia, Latin America, they come here. And by the time, you know, they've spent an entire generation here, their children are graduating from college. They're owning businesses. They are proving that the American dream still exists. And that's not the message the Democrats are selling. No. And I also want to send that message to our our MAGA listeners out there. In in many cases, on, on both sides of the aisle, I've, you know, I've heard people that you know, can be anti-immigration, but look at the immigrant communities in Miami. Look at what's happening with the Hispanic voters in Texas. We are all coalescing, no matter what color we are, around the values of the Constitution and the country and free enterprise and capitalism. And the Democrats have tried to keep those groups from understanding that, but they failed, and it's going a long way to changing the demographics of all the parties. We're seeing a sea change and the real big tent party and the real diverse party is becoming the Republicans, where the Democratic Party is just becoming the party of sort of rich elites and Marxists. Well, I mean, let's look at the history of these two parties, and and it's sort of par for the course. I want to read you something from a Democrat, Rui Teixeira, and he is um, his substack is the Liberal Patriot. He writes about the Democrats' Hispanic voter problem. It's not as bad as you think. It's worse. So he cites some some information from the Wall Street Journal in a recent poll. And he leads into it by saying, look, the Democrats have always believed that the growing non-white population will signal the end of the Republican Party, right? That They they mistakenly believe that the Republican Party is just a party of old white guys or, or whatever the case may be. And that number is getting lower and lower. The reason that number is getting lower and lower is not because of an expansion necessarily of black voters, which remains steady largely to the Democrats' abortion policies at about 13%. 
But the Hispanic population in America is exploding. And that is why they will eventually be maybe the majority in many states. And the white population is decreasing Hispanic growth. Well, so they believe we're in a great position, right? Well, in the most recent Wall Street Journal poll, Hispanic voters were split evenly between Republicans and Democrats. That is a disaster for them. But then they said, hey, in 2024, let's just say that we had a rematch between President Biden and former President Trump. Who would you vote for? Hispanic voters favored Biden by one point. In 2020, it was 26 points. In that same poll, Biden was 12 points underwater in terms of approval rating for Hispanics. And uh, 538, the website, did a poll that showed that every single ethnic group Biden has lost in, over the last nine months, but the decline has been sharpest among Hispanics. And in Texas, where they always say, we're going to win in Texas because it's becoming browner and browner by the day. And what's the lesson that we learned from that, Connor? It's that they are normal people, Hispanic voters, Black voters, Asian voters. They're voters. They're Americans. They're just like anybody else. And anybody that tries to sort of pigeonhole people by the color of their skin or their race to get votes is going to be sorely disappointed because they don't care. They just want to be, they just want to have good lives and, and raise their kids, you know, stop condescending, being condescending, stop talking down to them. I mean, that's, that's really, I think, a, a lesson that Democratic Party should learn. Uh, it looks like they haven't learned it yet. Well, at those dinners at the French Laundry or, you know, some of these other elite restaurants where they they sit in their lily white, the uh, Martha's Vineyard kind of places and they they strategize, they don't understand that people don't care about, you know, critical race theory when they can't afford groceries. They don't, their strategy has always been about making these people identify not as Americans first, like you just said, but as whatever you know, immutable characteristic they possess first. And so they're missing the point. The voters in Texas, these Hispanic voters, they've always thought they would take Texas because it's getting more and more Hispanic. They care a great deal about immigration in Texas. Just because somebody's from south of the border and speaks the same language as them, and by the way, not all Hispanics even speak Spanish, they're not going to say, yeah, let's have lawlessness because I have the same last name as that guy. No, they don't care about that. They want to protect. Them. Yeah, it's I know. Right. Like, you know, if I meet someone else named Runyon, you know, that's totally different than me. And they're like, yeah, like the like the, well, the fisherman that was illegally putting weights in those fish. His last name was Runyon. Did you see that story? Yeah. So, OK, <laughs> so let's I know. All right. I'm not related to him, but let's use this. But, but let's use this as an example. What? Because his last name's Runyon. I support what he's doing with the fish. I mean, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> But they actually think that, that, that they will support an open border with criminals and, and child rapists and fentanyl and all these drugs coming across. They'll support that because they're, they're from down there or their parents were. I know. And that alone, that alone is stereotyping. You know, I, this is crazy. When I was a kid, my grandfather, told, we used to go out to dinner, like we'd go to a Chinese restaurant. I think you've told the story before. <laughs> I think I did, maybe a long time ago. And he, first of all, he'd start speaking in a Chinese accent to me. <laughs> you know, like he'd be like, "Oh, I, me, I, I want the soy sauce." You know, he'd like say that, and then he would go, and then, and then he'd say to the guy, "Oh, you're, you're from China? Like, I met this guy from Japan once. Do you know him? You know?" And, <laughs> 
it, it's exactly that's what the Democratic Party is doing today. They're just they're they're it's it's actually racist. Well, I mean, you've you've got Joe Biden, uh, Jill Biden saying "Si se puede." You've got eighty-year-old Joe Biden listening to Despacito, you know, on his iPhone. They are obviously pandering, and these voters see right through it. They're not talking. Hispanic voters and Black voters care about those four issues you mentioned, and they're not talking to them, and they're losing them. This could be a radical sea change in American politics, and the Republican Party is looking. Very, very good on this. When we come back, another issue that didn't make the list that Paul told you about, foreign policy and a war in Ukraine that is threatening to go nuclear. And what do those progressive Democrats think about it? We'll be back to talk Ukraine next on The Midnight Ride. Some very interesting audio there from a town hall event for Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who, as the voter points out, ran on this outsider platform, certainly being against war, against the military-industrial complex. But all of these folks, Elizabeth Warren, all of these Democrats have been completely unified in their support of Ukraine and... While I agree with supporting Ukraine, the brinksmanship of Vladimir Putin is concerning to some of these leftist voters. And to say nothing of the fact that we've agreed to send them like $60 billion at a time where Americans are are trying to feed their families. What's really interesting about the progressives, and there's always been this, what, what I find interesting about political movements in the United States on the far right and the far left, there's always been this anti war component. So like you go to, you know, the Iraq war and you had Pat Buchanan, people like Pat Buchanan on the right. And you had, you had, um, Ron Paul was one. And then on the left, you had Bernie Sanders and you had Barbara Lee voting against the Iraq war. It's almost like on these, the, the far sides of each, each party, they almost come together on foreign policy. And they have been with this issue in Ukraine also. You know, you've, you had, at least until what happened just this week, which we're going to talk about, they had, on the right, you had people like Rand Paul and others. Thomas Massey, also of Kentucky, Congressman Thomas. And Thomas Massey, Tucker Carlson is obviously out there on the on Fox News talking about it. And then on, on the left, you had the squad um, who, have, who have been questioning it. And what's interesting is what happened this week. So they wrote... The squad actually wrote a letter to the Biden administration. This was a dis- yeah. This this turned in- this was a disaster, by the way, for the Democrats. Yeah, it turned into a complete disaster. So I'm going to read t- some of this letter, and then we can talk about it, and then and then we can talk about what happened. But before you, who wrote the letter? Which or how many people are we talking about? Because this is not just the four members of the squad, right? No, it was 30 Dems. It was really the progressive, it was the the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Okay, so 30 U.S. congressmen who represent the left. Yeah, and it was signed by Pramila Jayapal, who is really, she runs that, she's the representative of that caucus, and she was really the voice on it. So 
She wrote, the risk of nuclear weapons being used has been estimated to be higher now than at any time since the height of the Cold War. Given the catastrophic possibilities of nuclear escalation and miscalculation, which only increase the longer this war continues, we agree with your goal of avoiding direct military conflict as an overriding national security policy. She's saying that to the president. Given the destruction created by this war for Ukraine and the world, as well as the risk of catastrophic escalation, we also believe it is in the interests of Ukraine, the United States, and the world to avoid a prolonged conflict. For this reason, we urge you to pair the military and economic support the United States has provided to Ukraine with a proactive diplomatic push, redoubling efforts to seek a realistic framework for a ceasefire. This is consistent with your recognition that there's going to have to be a negotiated settlement here and your concern that Vladimir Putin doesn't have a way out right now and I'm trying to figure out what we do about that. So that was a letter encouraging Biden to negotiate. Within 24 hours, they put out another letter saying, the Congressional Progressive Caucus hereby withdraws its recent letter to the White House regarding Ukraine. The letter was drafted several months ago, but unfortunately was released by staff without vetting. As chair of the caucus, I accept responsibility for this. Because of the timing, our message is being conflated by some as being equivalent to the recent statement by Republican leader McCarthy threatening to end aid to Ukraine if Republicans take over, which McCarthy never said. He just said there wouldn't be a blank check. The proximity of these statements created the unfortunate appearance that Democrats who have strongly and unanimously supported and voted for every package of military, strategic, and economic assistance to the Ukrainian people are somehow aligned with Republicans who seek to pull the plug on American support for President Zelensky and the Ukrainian forces. We're going to talk about two things. One, the politics of this, and two, you know, just the situation in Ukraine. The politics of this are a disaster for the Democrats, right? And that's really all they care about is the politics. Well, some of them care about is the politics. Um, and we, we can debate the policy of the U.S. in a minute, but let's just talk about the politics now. But the, yeah, they sold out. I mean, that retraction right there shows that the Progressive Caucus really is nihilistic in a way. I don't really think they care about their issues. Jayapal signed that letter. So the fact that they can say that this was just put out by staffers is completely, is, is not feasible at all. So they, I mean, at the end of the day, I think somebody gave them a call after they put that letter out saying, uh, if, if you don't retract this, you're not going to be very happy. <laughs> if you don't retract this, you're going to be primaried. We're going to, you know, you're, you're going to lose all of this. I mean, yeah. So they did retract it. And it wasn't just Jayapal, it was a lot of these Congress women and men were threatened or were given a talking to. Sarah Jacobs of California said, hey, I wouldn't have signed that today. That was that was back in the day. Let's talk about that for a second. This letter was released at a time where the Ukrainians are winning the war, right? Yeah. That's why we are having these threats or these possible overtures by Putin that we may have to use a tactical nuke. That's because Ukraine is winning. So what are you saying? You're saying, I mean, Ukraine is winning and now Putin is doing these threats. So we should try to have a negotiation. I mean, Elon Musk said this a, a couple, a few weeks ago. And the response was the, from the Ukrainians was F off. We're not negotiating. 
that's something we should never forget is we don't control the negotiation. Zelensky's never going to agree to giving up more of his territory. He's already lost Crimea. He wants that back too. He's not going to agree to this. No, of course not, especially not when he's winning. And I, I also find it really hard to believe that the letter was drafted months ago, as they said, because it wasn't drafted months no, ago. No, because because they talk specifically about the risk of nuclear war being higher and higher. And and remember, the threats from Putin about nukes has really only elevated in the last few weeks. And 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 President Biden talking about Armageddon, that's also very recent. So I yes, find now it, he did Yeah. So I find it hard to believe that it was months ago that this was drafted given the current state. No, clearly it wasn't. And if it was months ago, well, the Ukrainians were in a much worse spot months ago. So you would write that letter then when the Russians hold the upper hand? It doesn't make any sense. The bottom line is, no, it doesn't. Now, I think that people like that guy we just played in the clip are going to abandon their, these. this will hurt them in the election because it's like, I voted for you because I thought you were like me. You were anti-war and you, you pull this now. Right. Exactly. And I don't I don't think that, as we said, this it's pretty far down the list of of important issues um, when we actually look at at what voters think. Foreign policy, it's never really been that high. But there is a small group of activists. I don't think it's even on their list in the Democratic Party that volunteer, that canvas, that get other voters out. And that's very important to them. War. And people are sick of the endless wars. On, in both parts of the right and the left. So I think that this will hurt them. And I think it's exposed the Congressional Progressive Caucus as not a party that really cares about their own principles and their policies, that I think they're willing to shift with the wind based on what their party's doing, just like, uh, say, Terry McAuliffe or Charlie Crist or whatever. And I think that's really going to hurt them. Yeah. And again, as we've talked about with in our last segment and in the first segment, there is a political sea change. There is a shift going on, right? And we've seen it with people like Bill Crystal and all of these former conservatives, we'll call them neocons, who are now part of the Democratic Party. And it's funny, they're sitting there tra- and, and, you know, Glenn Greenwald. I know, Max Boot, Max Boot he's another one. Max right? Boot, yeah. yeah. All of these guys are, are trying to hold on to this military industrial complex. Glenn Greenwald, we're big fans of him here on the Midnight Ride. He's actually come out, I think, in the last week and, and he's doing a show now on Rumble. And he's basically just, he's painting all of these folks, the neocons and, and, and these Democrats now as perpetuating the war profiteering. And if we look at, listen, you and I both served in the military, and I don't mean to denigrate or demean the service of our brave men and women, because whoever is elected to lead as the commander in chief, and and Congress has a big oversight role with the armed services committees and and funding these wars and and stuff like that. I'm, you know, I'm not trying to demean this, but there are people, if you listen to Glenn Greenwald or you study history, you can see in Afghanistan, in Iraq, with Halliburton and, and some of the contracts that went out, in the present situation with Raytheon and Lockheed Martin and all these folks. Well, look at their stocks. I mean, Northrop Grumman is trading at an all-time high, and and Lockheed Martin is close to an all-time high right now. So, I mean, when you look at that with a market that's that's dropped 25 30% and the defense contractors are at an all-time high, that should give you a 
opinion right there on what's happening. And I believe, you know, Paul Pelosi, I don't think he's listening to us in his hospital room right now, but I believe right before some of these decisions were made. Well, let's, first of all, I just want to stop you right there on the Paul Pelosi thing. I mean, I, that was an awful thing that happened to him. So I don't. It was. I don't. It, it was. Want to make, Anytime. Make light at it. I, I don't think he would listen to the midnight ride anyway, but, but, um, you know, our prayers are with him for a, a, a speedy recovery. Nobody deserves that. No, nobody does. Nobody does. And and the guy that did it, I hope they put him under the jail. We've been talking about crime in San Francisco for a long time. We've been talking about politically motivated crime. It's it's all bad. But he bought a lot of stock, I think, in one of those companies as well, right before this kicked off. A lot of people in Washington have made a tremendous amount of money off of the Ukraine conflict, Afghanistan, Iraq, and Vietnam War. There are people that believe that the Vietnam War was prolonged because people were getting money, you know, for, for contracts and things, etc. War is an awful thing. War, you know, there was a, a military, a Prussian military general and, and theorist, uh, I believe his name was Karl von Clausewitz, and he said that war is politics by other means, right? I mean, Putin wants something, and the only way he can get it is by killing. And he's doing that. But war can also be business, Paul. It absolutely is. There's profit to be made. And so, you, as you say, you've got, we thought that these progressives hated war, but they're now falling in line with their party. And Donald Trump was elected on this theory that, hey, our greatest national treasure is the blood of these patriots. Donald Trump was a pacifist. Yeah. And, and, and it became very hard for the, the Democratic Party to get their arms around that. And then when they became sort of, when they became inflicted with Trump derangement syndrome, the neocons all went over to the Democratic Party. And Donald Trump actually has turned the Democratic Party into the warmonger party as a result. Yeah, I mean, and I, I have this discussion with family members and other people all the time that they're they're still living in a you know 2000 or even 20th century viewpoint of who the democrats and the republicans are i know i know the ultra maga folks don't want foreign entanglements we we hated you know what happened in iraq and we, you know we got 22 veterans a day committing suicide so you know we have all these people who aligned with donald trump and said yeah we hate war and entanglements now now let's shift now and let's talk about what's going on in Ukraine. Yeah, because I wanted to say we we talked a little bit about about the the profiteering, but I want to say something about this this war in Ukraine. I, you know, Russia is our adversary. I do not like Vladimir Putin. If it were up to me, I would like Ukraine to win this war. I'd love that for them to get Crimea back and I would love for things to end like that. The problem is I don't want to get vaporized. And I don't think you want to get vaporized. I don't think any it, being vaporized doesn't seem like it would be a very enjoyable thing from a, a nuclear weapon going off. And I think our goal here needs to be not getting vaporized. And that's really, I think, the goal. We don't want to have a nuclear war. So let's find a way to avoid it and let's not push Russia into into one. No, I, I agree. And so if let's if we as we talk about the situation for a second and what the Biden administration and the American Congress have done, it's a complicated situation. And that voter in Brooklyn and and this 
progressive caucus, you know, that the, they have their trepidations too. President Biden has done a very good job in keeping NATO together. It's obvious that Vladimir Putin, through his cutting off of energy and his threats of nuclear weapons, is trying to get certain NATO na- nations to withdraw their support of the Ukrainians. And President Biden has kept, has done a great leadership role and kept all of the NATO countries together on the same page, whatever his motivations are. We don't want to live in a world where countries like Russia and China can just say, I want that, I'm taking it. If that happens, our peace and prosperity are going away. And so in that sense, yes, we support Ukraine. Another thing that he said is, we're not sending U.S. troops. I think all of the MAGA people agree with that. I think all Americans agree with that. Do we want to spill blood for the Ukrainians. It's not that important to us, but it's right on the border with countries like Poland and Latvia and Lithuania and and others that if if Russia decides, well, I want to rebuild the Warsaw Pact or whatever, if they cross the border into Poland, we are now at war with Russia. By, because we signed a treaty that said we would defend the Poles if they came back into Poland. The problem is we have to have a concrete objective for an endgame. And in Iraq and Afghanistan, that narrative kept shifting. Remember, it was weapons of mass destruction with Saddam Hussein. Then it, it became democracy and it was women's rights. And Afghan- first and in Afghanistan, it was 9-11 and women's rights and all of this. I'm already starting to see that shift in Ukraine, where, you know, originally it's defending the Ukrainian territory. Now it's degrading Russia. Now I see that I saw AOC talking about you or and Ilan Omar talking about Ukrainian children suffering. And that's why we're, we're fighting this war. So, you know, it, it almost seems like we've got to have some objective as to where it ends. Otherwise, it's just going to go on forever, because I don't think Vladimir Putin's just going to be like, all right, guys, you win. I'm out. You know, I don't see that happening. Well, you're right. And and it's those sort of shifts that sort of feed this narrative by people like Greenwald and others that say that's all about the profits. Because, you know, our objectives, our our objectives should be to stop, to prevent Vladimir Putin from taking this country, right? And I think that was our objective. But it is a very complicated situation, especially when you put nuclear weapons into it. One of the things, I mean, and you talk about shifting narratives. I mean, Vladimir Putin has said, he's talking out of both sides of his mouth. First, he said, well, we want to de there's Nazis over there. We want to denazify them. Then he said, look, we are the same people. That country used to be ours and, you know, it sh- you should still be ours. I think that's really his true motivation is rebuilding parts of the former Soviet empire, right? But he has, for whatever reason he's giving, he wants to take Ukraine. But one of the reasons he also gave, and I think we've talked- My opinion is my opinion for him taking Ukraine, I think, is he just wants some sort of buffer with NATO. Yeah, we've talked, you know, you mentioned that before. We've talked about this. And and it's true that NATO over the years has expanded eastward and eastward. In fact, during this conflict, we added 800 and some odd miles more of border as we are about to admit Finland and Sweden in. You know, we're, we're right up against Russia. And so the expansion of NATO- there's no secret that Ukraine wants to be a part of NATO. No, I want Ukraine and NATO. I think it would be great. I, I think it's a good peace plan to if you, you stop things where they are currently. And if Putin kept Crimea and part of the eastern Ukraine, but then the rest of Ukraine joins NATO, I think that would be great for security. I don't think that would ever happen, but 
you know, I'd love to see Ukraine as part of NATO. I think it's the opposite, Paul. I think we say, get out of these four oblasts, you know, whatever the, whatever the, those states or whatever, the Donbass region, Kyrgyzstan, whatever, get out of there. And we promise that we will never accept them into NATO. And that might be where Vladimir Putin can go back to the elites in Russia and his people and say, see, I told you that it was about this and they, and we won. They've agreed that they, they will never allow them in. We, he can go back and say, we, we achieved our objective. If we agree never to, we can accept them into the EU, but they will not be a part of NATO and we will stop supplying them with weapons, but you got to leave. Any chance that works? I don't know. See, this is the problem, right? It's like this big game theory where no one agrees to anything. I mean, look at the two of us are on like different sides. You know, I want to see Ukraine and NATO. You don't. <laughs> so I don't I don't know what I don't know what the answer is here. And that's part of the bigger problem is that we're in this now and nobody knows how we get out of it. And that's that's the issue. So, well, I hope we can all agree that the way out, I mean, as we speak right now, there's civilians in Ukraine that are being killed. There are young boys on both sides that are being blown apart as we speak right now. And that's not good. So we should have an open channel through the Turks, through the French, through whomever, wherein we are trying diplomacy. We've got to give peace a chance. And Putin, one of the reasons he's been so brash is because a lot of the Russian people are now questioning him because the numbers of casualties are piling up. They don't really believe in the war. Hopefully, we can come to a negotiated settlement. I think we have to applaud the Biden administration for many components of this. But as Kevin McCarthy said, the American people don't want to give a blank check either. Not in these times. It really just doesn't matter. So we got to wrap the show. I want to close by, by, first of all, thanking all of you for listening. Continue to give us five-star ratings, like and subscribe, and tell friends. Paul, your final thoughts for the week. Well, everybody, get out and vote. We've just got a few days left until the election. By the time the next uh, Midnight Ride episode comes out, it's going to be the day before the election. So uh, we're seeing very encouraging signs. Uh, I know in Florida right now, as of when the show is going up, we've got more Republicans voting than Democrats early, which has never happened before. So keep that up. Everybody get out and vote, and we will talk more next week. Yep. Don't take it for granted. These polls mean nothing unless you vote. Go out and vote. Thank you for listening to the Midnight Ride podcast. We will see you next week. Please have a good one.